Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am your host, Tracy Otsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode number 149 of ADHD for Smartass Women. I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter over at tracyoutsuka.com. My purpose is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. In the thousands of ADHD women that I have had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something, not one. So today we have a wonderful guest. Let me just tell you a little bit of the backstory. Her name has come up many times among our Facebook group members and our AOK students, so she's been on my list for a while. But recently, my wonderful friend, Dr. Christine Lee, had her on her fabulous podcast, Make Time for Success. You know, I was talking to Christine yesterday, and I don't think it's up yet. But right after she interviewed her, Christine sent me a message that I had to have this woman on my podcast. She said, she's fantastic. She knows organization and ADHD. And I always listen to what Christine says. So for all of these reasons, I am just delighted to introduce you to Lisa Woodruff. Lisa Woodruff is a former teacher and parent who has spent the last 20 years researching ADHD and applying solutions to support executive functions in our home life. Along the way, she created the Sunday Basket System that works by externalizing executive function in many home-related weekly tasks. She is the author of How ADHD Affects Home Organization and a regular contributor to Attitude Magazine. Lisa, did I get all that right? You make me sound better than I am, Tracy. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Actually, I don't because what I always do is I ask my guests to send me a little bit of a bio. And Lisa, you didn't say the half of what it is that you do. (laughs) You are a prolific writer. What are you on, like book number four or is it five? Yes, we've published five books because I had a book before I started Organize 365. But you know what? I don't think of myself as a podcaster or a business owner or a book writer, because as teachers, like any teachers who are listening, 
we tend to shortchange what we do. And teachers in general are major content producers in lesson plans and newsletters. And we just think that that's part of the teaching job. But when you equate that over into business, it becomes books and podcasts and blogs and courses, which is basically what teachers do every day. That makes complete sense. So beyond all that, you have two podcasts. And as I was doing the research, of course, I always go back and I look if there's a podcast, I want to hear some episodes. And I realized that I've been subscribing to you for years. I just don't put the name with the podcast, you know, sometimes. That is so funny. Yes, I started a podcast called Professional Organizers Think Tank. I think I did it first just to make sure that I could do a podcast. It teaches you how to be a professional organizer or the path that I took. But the Organized 365 podcast is the one that I produce a couple of times a week and have for the last, I think it's six or seven years. I don't know. It's been a long time. That is so impressive. I think we'll be going on our third year. And I know when I started, I was just like, how am I going to do this? I never thought it would go for three years. So you've been doing this more than double that amount of time. So I'm impressed. Like I said, teachers do this every single day for eight, eight. I mean, it's just, it's my classroom more than anything else. It's the way that I share all the ideas and the learnings that I have, and then have a dialogue with our audience over in different social media channels, which gives me more information, which gives me more to put back into the podcast. And I'm a lifelong learner. So I'm continuing to grow and develop in my understanding of how we specifically learn the skill of organization, especially as that relates to at home. And then giving big out of the box picture ideas and thoughts to people in the podcast that they can chew on so that they think about their home in different ways instead of just living on autopilot. Absolutely. So can we talk about ADHD first? Sure. I know. (laughs) I know that you don't personally have ADHD, but because I know that our best purposes often give meaning to our past, I'm curious, what led you to learn so much about executive function and organization? Yeah, I will tell you that story, but I'm not 100% sure I don't have ADHD. Everyone keeps telling me I do. And I'm like, I take all the tests and I don't. But I did meet with a medical doctor who said, oh yeah, you definitely do. But because you have created so many systems that support executive function, you don't have the negative effects of ADHD. So then you don't present as having ADHD, but she's 99% sure that I actually have it. And she diagnoses people all the time. So that to say, how do, how do we really know? Uh, but how I got started in Wait, this I is- Okay, I have to respond <laughs> to that because as I was doing the research, which I always do, and I was listening to you speak and I was hearing about, oh, you're a lifelong learner and you're clearly so driven, you know, you're prolific content producer. I'm like, I think she's got some ADHD. So I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, well, and ADHD, a, a lot of these, like you either have- some diagnoses or you don't like diabetes, but there are a lot of diagnoses where it's a spectrum. Like there's no one who doesn't have any ADHD and there's no one who has all ADHD. So it's a spectrum and it involves the eight executive functions. So my two children are adopted. We were blessed with children through adoption Mm -hmm. and I'm an educator by trade. 
And when I was an educator, I educated the kids that qualified for an extra half day of kindergarten or were at risk or who were on IEPs. And so I was very familiar with ADHD and learning disabilities and easily observed that my kids were struggling as well. And here in Cincinnati, Ohio, we have an amazing school called Springer School and Center, which is specifically for language learning disorders, which both of my children have. And when you are part of this school, they also provide parents and teachers in the community a lot of education on learning disabilities, but also ADHD, because the percentage of students who have learning disabilities and ADHD is Mm -hmm. very, very high. And one of the unique things about Springer School and Center is the classroom they are all carpeted. There are only 12 students per classroom with two full-time teachers. Like It is the most optimal learning environment possible. And I remember the executive director saying to me that once a student is acclimated to the Springer environment, if they are still exhibiting executive function issues, then they look at ADHD because if it's environmental at all, they eliminate it at Springer so that if they still have executive functions, it's definitely ADHD. So Springer School and Center teaches the teachers in all of Cincinnati about ADHD. They partner with Cincinnati Children's for research and to bring in people. And I got to learn so much about executive function. And the reason why I dove so deep into it was because it affected my firstborn, my son, the most. And when I first learned that there were eight executive functions that are impacted by ADHD and they were identified to me, I went up to the headmaster and I said, my son is deficient in seven of the eight. And they said, we know. And I said, <laughs> okay. Uh, like, like I'm a teacher. I'm used to like, here's our strength. So we're going to use our strength to shore up our weakness. But I'm like, one out of eight is not helpful. And it's not one that you can really add to an educational plan. And they're like, we've done this before. And I was like, so you, you think you can do this? And they're like, yes. And so he was at that school for six years from third grade through eighth grade. Our daughter ended up joining him for sixth, seventh and eighth grade as well. And I will tell you today, you maybe would not recognize that he has ADHD. He still definitely does. And he could tell you internally how he thinks differently. But a lot of what Springer taught in strategies and structures provided the scaffolding he needed in order to show up better in the classroom when he left that school and to be an independent adult, which at the time I did not know was going to be a possibility. So then I started thinking, we provide so many supports in school for ADHD. And in a workplace, you know, we often will provide supports as best we can in a workplace for any kind of diagnosis as well. But when you go home, when I would meet the parents of the students who were at Springer, who they themselves had ADHD, their homes would become so disorganized and they lacked the structures to put those organizational pieces in place in their homes that they got to the point where they stopped going out and doing what they used to do before life got moving too fast and it ran them over. And it was primarily their ADHD and their lack of organizational structure that kept them from getting back out in the world. Well, first I have to say that um, Springer School should be a model for all schools around the country. I mean, that school sounds fantastic. The second question I have for you is, so this was how many years ago? Did you say seven, eight years ago? So this would have been about 15 years ago when my kids wow. started that school. Yeah. Okay. So they were already talking about executive functions. 
I think now, well, I mean, it's really become a neurodivergent buzzword all of a sudden, right? You hear it everywhere. It sounds like you were in the middle of it for at least a decade. So can you give us a brief explanation of what executive functions are and why our ADHD brains might struggle with executive functions when it comes to getting organized? Yeah. I first want to say, and I've said this many, many times on my podcast, I feel like ADHD is an evolution of the brain, not a dysfunction. Personally, I I think that all of the great ideas that we see come from ADHD thinking and this divergent way of thinking. Also, I mentioned my son, so I just want to be clear. He has said that I can share any part of his story with anyone where it will help them learn and achieve more. He has the biggest heart. He's 21. He works here. He'll probably interrupt the podcast because he doesn't care. I have signs on my door that say he can't come in. He has the biggest heart and he wants everyone to be able to have individualized education and to be as affirmed as he was. So he wants to help people. And when you look at executive function, yes, Springer brings in like the PhD experts that write all these books have all been to Cincinnati and I've heard them speak uh, in small groups, which is amazing. ADHD often is discussed in the lack of impulse control, which impulse control is one of the executive functions or emotional dysregulation. You know, you cry or you laugh at inappropriate times. I don't really go through those two executive functions. And I think those get the most media and play and negative connotation. But the six executive functions that I've really dove in deep into almost all involve either when you were learning math in school or in general, how you organize and make productive your day. And those are flexible thinking, the ability to see something in a different way than it's actually being presented today, working memory, which is the ability to hold multiple things in your brain at one time, think long division, self-monitoring, which is not like making sure you're time on task, but it's more recognizing the progress that you've made and how far you have to go versus only seeing how far you have to go and not the progress that you've made. Task initiation, which is getting started, but it's not just getting started. It's going from step to step to step inside of a anything that you're doing. Again, think about algebra. It's not just starting your algebra homework, but it's doing step one and then step two and then step three inside of each individual question. Planning, which is planning how much time things takes. But Dr. Barkley says that ADHD is a disorder of time. People who have ADHD struggle with the passing of time. It passes too fast or it passes too slow compared to other people around them. So that impacts their planning. And then the final executive function that I focus on is actually organization is actually an executive function. So we know that executive functions can be learned. So it sounds Mm -hmm. to me like learning how to, or I mean, we can learn how to organize our homes, how to organize our lives, all of that. Correct? Absolutely. A hundred thousand percent. So Do you have any ideas why our ADHD brains might struggle with these executive functions? So I'll tell you, I, you know, I'm not a PhD. I just have Mm -hmm. done a lot of research. I'll tell you what I observed in my kids specifically in teaching them how to organize their room. Learning the skill of organization 
is a lot of steps. And to get organized, you have to have task initiation to get started. And you have to self-monitor yourself to see how far you have to go and how far you've already come. And you have to plan what you're going to do next. And it is it is all of the executive functions in one in order to get a child to organize their room. That's why I think it's the easiest explanation. Joey approached organizing his room by getting rid of almost everything and only playing with a few things. That way, when it came to the weekly cleaning of your room, he literally just had to put his Game Boy away, put a couple Legos away, and that was it because he did not want to have to spend a lot of time organizing. So he got through those executive functions by eliminating the quantity. My daughter has a lot of passions. She loves animals and she loved baby dolls and Polly Pockets and books and creative and crafting. And she is going from one project to the next, to the next, to the next. She is never sedentary. So when it came to organizing her room, it would take us all weekend, which, you know, usually ended up in tears for both of us. And I learned that, or I I made the decision that my kids were going to learn whatever they were going to learn in their academic schooling. As a teacher, you would think it'd be more important, but it really didn't matter to me. I wanted my kids to be independent adults who could live on their own and were organized. And so I set out to teach the skill of organizing their bedrooms. And I did it in a way where I set up a routine, which I can go through with you if you want, to teach them how to organize their bedrooms. And it took me nine months to teach Abby to be able to do it independently through a very methodical process. And now she can organize her apartment. My son can organize his apartment. And when they get overwhelmed, they call me and I walk them through these steps to get them started. And then the script that I've created in their mind kicks off and they're able to organize their space. Okay. So you have to share the steps. Okay. (laughs) I know I'm talking a lot. No, you're supposed to be talking a lot. Thank you. Okay. So I looked at all the executive functions, task initiation being a big one. Like how do you get started? And adults will often say, I can't get started organizing. That's usually not true. You can get started. You just don't know what to do next because there are so many things to do when you are organizing a room. So I realized almost every single space that you're going to organize will have these three items in them. They will work for you too. We're going to start by going into the space with a trash bag. And you literally, out loud, have to say, trash, trash, trash. And the reason why you're saying trash, trash, trash is because, let's just pick your family room. You're looking around the family room. You're seeing a magazine you want to read. Oh, I forgot to put this away. And all of a sudden, you'll go, wait a minute, I'm saying something. And then you'll listen to yourself, and you'll hear yourself saying, trash, trash, trash. You're like, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm supposed to be looking for trash. So that is so good. Okay, thanks. We get so distracted, right? Yes, we distract ourselves. (laughs) So you you look through and and then you when you think there is absolutely nothing else in that room that is trash, I want you to look through the entire room again because you'll always find a few more things. Tie up the bag, walk it out to wherever your trash goes. You could be done for the day if you want. Once you get good at walking to a, into a room with a trash bag, surveying for everything that's trash and putting in the trash bag, and you've grown that organizing muscle, then you're going to add on the second step. And the second step is laundry, laundry, laundry. I, I don't know about your house, but there are socks, coats, shoes, every single room in my house. I, there's not a single space I can organize in my house that doesn't have errant clothing in it. So after you're done with the trash, 
Then you do the clothing. It goes to the laundry room or gets hung up in the front hall or on the hooks or wherever it's supposed to go. Again, once you've learned this step and you can do these two steps in a row, you're done. You don't have to do any more. And the third one is food and dishes. And you still have to be saying laundry, 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 or food and dishes, food and dishes, because you will still distract yourself. And then once the food and dishes are back in the kitchen, then you actually have a room ready to be organized. Now, if you think about kids, trash is the first one. They do all the trash. They get that out. So when I was teaching Abby, I would have her and I would do trash together. And then I had her do trash. And then I came in and she sat on her bed while I did the rest of the room. After about a month of this, she did trash, told me she was done with the trash. I said, okay, get all your clothes and put them all in the hallway. And then all your clothes, put them all the way down to the laundry room. Okay, the trash is done. The laundry is done. I'll come in your room now. And she would literally sit on her bed while I continued to go through all of the steps. And then she got to where she could do trash. She could do laundry. She could do food and dishes. And that's where my kids are now. When they're at college or they're in their apartment, they will call me, mom, it's such a mess. It's overwhelmed. I'll say, great, pick up all the trash and call me back. They call me back, get all your clothes, put it in the laundry, call me back. They don't call me back because they go to the food and dishes and then they go and organize the whole rest of their room. And when they were young, did they do their own laundry? No, (laughs) I am so like, do not take any parenting advice from me. Okay. I pick my battles. Like I, I don't know how to explain it. When your kids have learning disabilities and ADHD and seasonal allergies and all these things, I mean, they're little humans. They are not little machines. And so school was very, very hard for my kids. I quickly, like by sixth, seventh grade, I was like, you know, we're going to graduate. Like that's our goal is like to get the (laughs) diploma because I always knew that whatever they were uniquely created to do was not going to involve a four-year white collar college degree. Mm -hmm. Even though that's what my husband and I had, that was no longer, it was not my expectation for them and it was not their gifting. So I gave that up really early on. And I started to realize that in order for them to be independent adults, I was going to have to break down some things that were natural for my husband and I to learn and actually teach them the steps of them. And so my kids never had chores. They didn't do dishes until they were over the age of 18. They didn't do laundry until they wanted something clean that I didn't clean. And for one of those, that was the age of 21. I felt like their bedrooms, which I call their mini apartments, were the space that they were responsible for. And if they could keep track of that and they could do whatever I could negotiate down was the expectation at school, the rest of their time was available for their passions. And I was responsible for the house because it was my house. And now that they have their own living spaces, they do their laundry and they do their dishes. And I knew they would eventually, but no, I did not do that growing up. That makes me feel so much better. You have no idea how many of those little chores charts I would put together and, you know, okay, we're going to do chores. We're going to, you know, this is what you're going to do and this is what you're going to do. And I, you know, it takes follow up, right? (laughs) It was like, oh, screw it. It's easier for me to just do it myself. So I tried them too. I couldn't keep up with them either. So just in case you're wondering. Yeah. Oi. Okay. So literally trash, 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 laundry, 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 and then food and dishes, food and dishes. Um, One of the things that I have heard you speak on, and I just, I've never heard anybody talk about organizing by stage of life. And this makes so much sense to me because I often hear ADHD women talk about how organized they used to be, that they never had a problem managing themselves and their surroundings and their school and their career. 
But I think what happens is, I know what happens, is that as your responsibilities increase with ADHD, you get to a threshold where you can no longer cope. So, you know, not only do you still have to manage your own career, but all of a sudden there's a bunch of children running around and there's all their school paperwork, running a home, shopping, getting dinner on the table. Can you talk to us about this concept of organizing by stage of life? Yes, I am super excited about this. I can't wait to dive in. But before I do, I just want everybody listening to listen through the lens of grace. You are doing enough. You are amazing. What you are providing is not reflective on when your dishes are done or how often you change your bed sheets. Just to make you feel better, I do dishes twice a week and I change my bed sheets once a month, maybe. So I'm not a perfectionist. I'm not the teacher that's going to check your paper. Our expectations of what we do in our household is so shaped by social media and the media and what we saw our parents and grandparents doing that maybe doesn't even need to be done is unrealistic and isn't happening in other people's homes. So I want to just start with that. Like, Give yourself grace. Take a deep breath. And, and can then, I add, can I add yeah. one thing? Why is it that women are the ones that are always so worried about all this and feeling so much guilt about this? Why don't we ever hear men talking about this, right? So, so much of the taking care of the home and taking care of the kids, it falls on women. So no wonder, you know, neurodivergent or not neurodivergent, you can understand how this can all be at some point, at some threshold, completely overwhelming. Yes. And I don't have the answer for that yet, but we did third-party research here at Organize 365 to define what housework is, men and women, genders, ethnicities, different parts of the country in the United States. And what we found were men are as interested in organizing as women are. And we often get a lot of feedback because I really focus on the female head of household and they're like, what about men? And I'm like, I'm just telling you, it's not an issue for them. Like they want it organized, but they literally don't see the socks that they're walking over. I don't know how to explain it. They don't. And they're like, you're right. We don't. It's just not the same issue. We definitely take it as a personal judgment if our home does not meet our mental standards of what we think it should look like. And I just want to say, when was the last time someone was even in your home? Like they're not, people aren't even in our homes. And we are like literally killing ourselves, trying to meet expectations of people who will never be in our homes. And furthermore, the people in your home probably don't have the standard that you're setting for yourself in your head. They don't even notice what you're doing. And when you finally realize that nobody's paying attention to what you're doing, you can stop doing it. I have a lot of stories that could go along with that. Or do you want me to go with the phases of life? I could do either one. What do you think would be more beneficial to our listeners? Let me touch on the phases of life because I think that's, okay. you know, the other one's just kind of a rant. So <laughs> the phases of life. We like those too. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah. Um, so the phases of life I've identified actually match the book Generations by Neil Howe and William Strauss, which is a big book. It's not available in audio, but it talks about how there are four generations alive at any one time and they keep cycling through every 20 years. I read their book after I had come up with this idea. And a lot of what I have come up with at home, I found out is like the Kanban method in 
or lean process. Like all the things that mm. I figured out at home have been figured out in business and sociology. So the concepts are not different. They're just applied differently. So the first 20 years of life, you typically live in the family that you were born into and the dwelling of the space that you have to organize and maintain is your bedroom. I have children call this their mini apartment starting at the age of seven because an apartment has a different connotation. Like it, it has some ownership. It has some decision-making ability. And also it has some zones in it. And once you can organize a space by zones, it's easier to organize and maintain. So for students, I like them to think about their bedroom as their mini apartment, which usually will turn into a dorm room or an actual apartment someday. Your goal at this stage is just to learn how to organize yourself, your schedule, and your bedroom space. That's why I didn't do chores with my kids. And if your kids can do all three of those, like A+, plus, gold star, we're winning. <laughs> then we move on to your 20s and 30s, which I call the accumulation stage. At this stage of life, I was at the home improvement stores more than I was in my house because every time I went to do anything, I realized that my parents owned that. I didn't. I went to hang up a picture. I didn't have a hammer and nails. I went to clean the kitchen. I didn't own a mop or anything to clean kitchens. Literally everything you go to do in your 20s and 30s, you don't have the stuff because it was in your childhood home, but you didn't realize you didn't own it. And in this phase of life, you accumulate experiences, education, jobs, you move, and then you can optionally add on spouses and kids. You don't have to add on spouses and kids. Even if you don't get married and have kids, you're going to accumulate. You cannot be a human outside of your childhood home without some accumulation. We have to accumulate things to live. Now, this stage ends at the age of 40. Like it is exactly the year that you turn 40. I thought it was just me. I've done a lot of anecdotal <laughs> research. It is definitely like the months before and after you turn 40, you switch over into what I call survival phase. Maybe not the best name of it. I named it survival because I was turning 40 and I was overwhelmed. And what I find in your 40s and early 50s is that you're at the height of your career usually, not necessarily your earning ability, but you found what you uniquely want to do and you've poured all of your time and effort into that career or that passion. And you've ended the accumulation stage. Even if you have your baby in your 40s, you just don't accumulate as much stuff with that baby as you would in your 20s or 30s. And so if you continue to buy and get things every time you turn around in your 40s and 50s, that's why you start drowning is because you already have everything you need. You just don't know where it is. This is when you <laughs> go to organize your house and you realize you have 10 hammers. Because <laughs> yeah. every time you couldn't find one, you just went and you bought another one. And so your decluttering is different and the organization you need is different in your 40s and 50s. You're also very mobile in your 40s and 50s. Even if you work from home, you're out and about a lot socially and networking and with business and with family. You often will become responsible for older family generations during your 40s and 50s. And so you'll find yourself managing multiple households at one time. So because of this reason, you don't find yourself at home for long stretches of time like you did in your 20s and 30s. A weekend at home to just get organized doesn't really exist in your 40s and 50s like it did before because you're not as much in control of your own time. And then sometime in your late 50s, early 60s, it can happen sooner, you move into the legacy and downsizing phase of your life. And this is where instead of looking at what your career legacy is going to be, you start looking at what your family legacy is going to be for the generations that are following after you. 
How are you going to preserve your photos and the clothing and the memorabilia that has ended up in your home? What are ways in which you can share that and display that in a meaningful and purposeful way? So the organization that you need starts with trash, dishes, and laundry, but how you're going to organize that kitchen or that family room is completely different when you are a stay-at-home parent of little kids or a working-from-home single person or someone who's an empty nester. Those rooms are going to be the same four walls, but they're not going to function the same, so they need different organization. So do you find that generally most of your clients are in their mid-40s and beyond, is that when you start really getting overwhelmed by all the accumulation and then, you know, never being home? Not, I mean, this makes perfect sense to me, what you're saying. So my company, I think, is an anomaly. You know, marketing always says you can only have one target market. I literally have people who listen to the podcast who are seven years old and people who are 97. There's a photo on our Facebook group of the 90, a couple of 92 year old guys who are doing their Sunday baskets. And there is a little four-year-old girl who does it every single week. So this message appeals to all generations. I'm one of those people who loves to talk to all different people. And so I think that the message of organization and the way that I present big ideas makes anyone who's interested in organizing in any generation interested in listening and thinking a different way. So are you saying then that the the stage of life that you're in does not affect how you recommend to organize? Correct. You are going to reorganize four times in your life. And each time you reorganize inside of our, our organizational program, I will tell you how that kitchen is going to look differently when you go through those phases of the kitchen. But the actual things that the process of organizing does not change. Okay. So explain to us, you mentioned Sunday basket. What is that? Does that take the stages of life into account? Okay. So the Sunday basket is a, it's step one. The Sunday basket I actually created 20 years ago. Trash, trash, trash. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) We got a different mantra here, a different one. So 20 years ago, when Joey and Abby were six months and two years old, I was completely overwhelmed. I had a booming direct sales business. Joey had extreme asthma. I had Abby's adoption paperwork and everything was paper and pencil back then. It was 2002. And I just could not get anywhere because Joey was colicky and he didn't sleep the night until he was four and he only took a 20 minute nap. And so I didn't have any time. And one Sunday night, everybody was miraculously asleep, including my husband. And I had some energy and I took this literal pile of paper that was 12 inches high on the end of my kitchen counter. And I divided it on the floor into 40 actionable piles. Doctors I had to call, bills I had to pay, orders I had to place. 40? 40. You have them too. Wait till you do it. No, you have it too. I don't have paper. Oh, so then I put it in these slash pockets in a basket. And then the next day when Joey took a 20 minute nap, I grabbed a slash pocket out and I got it done. And that's when I realized that this process was going to work, that a never ending to-do list didn't work for me. We didn't have a lot of digital options back then. Digital Mm -hmm. just in general doesn't work for me. I'm a very analog person. The second time that I did the Sunday basket was in 2012 when I quit my job and started Organize 365. Again, totally overwhelmed, too many projects, too many goals, too many opportunities. Uh, And I had to bucket out my life into these slash pockets, which are just binder inserts that have tabs on them that are different colors. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And I learned that I get overwhelmed because I try to hold too much in my head. And this is the executive function of yeah. working memory. We try yep. to use our brain like a to-do list. Your brain is the most fabulous computer ever created. And it is there for synthesizing information from one industry to the next so that you can create something new that will move humanity forward. It's not to remember to give your dog flea and tick medicine. And so when I finally started realizing, oh, I could take every single idea I have and write it on an index card and throw it in that Sunday basket. And then on Sunday basket, I could neutrally look at every single thought I had during the week, whether it was I need to get a haircut or I should start a podcast as if it's just an idea and recycle almost everything, but then take action on just a few things each week. I became so much more organized and so much more productive. And I did not observe what else had happened until my audience started telling me. I knew I was saving five hours a week by not being reactive and just putting things in the Sunday basket until Sunday to deal with them. But once my audience started experiencing the same five hours, they started telling me this, Lisa, you gave us our brain back. I can think about things clearly now. My don't get distracted with my own thoughts. I don't have any anxiety anymore and I don't have any stress in my life. And I'm like, you don't have any stress in your life. What's happened in the last six months? And they're like, oh, my mother-in-law fell. She broke her hip. My husband lost his job. We decided to move. I'm like, but you don't have stress? They're like, no, I don't have stress because it just goes in the Sunday basket. And I look (laughs) at it on Sunday and I pick out what I know I can do. And if I can't do it, then it has to get deferred. And I say no. And I'm like, how can such a simple routine help? But it's the habit. It is the habit of externalizing our thoughts onto paper, which takes the emotion out of it, and then logically looking at those and leaving our brain empty so that it can do the computation and all of the things that it's supposed to do instead of being a to-do list. That makes perfect sense to me. I can just imagine that if you're constantly stuffing all this stuff in your brain, trying to Mm -hmm. remember things, it just causes anxiety. So it makes perfect sense. So what you're saying is that, so the Sunday basket is not a basket. It's this binder that has all these tabs in it and you take three by five cards or you actually take the pieces of paper and stick it into the category so that you deal with it all on Sunday. Is that what it is? Yes. Very close. Sorry. There's no binder. They are binder (laughs) inserts that we manufacture that actually do go in a basket. And the Uh reason why it's a basket is because I want you to be able to put library books or a quart of paint or any Mm. of your actionable to-dos in the basket all week long. And you don't put them inside of the slash pockets until you go through the process on the weekend because I don't want it to take any time during the week. I want you to literally have an idea, write it down, look at the idea. Can this wait until Sunday? If it can, it must wait until Sunday. And this is what most productivity people say, oh, well, if it's only going to take two minutes, do it now. No, no, I don't. First of all, no. (laughs) What they always talk about, you can only handle a piece of mail once. How do you feel about that? Wrong. Okay. Okay. First of all, almost everyone that's ever said that is a man. I'm just going to say it. And the other thing is I started doing mental gymnastics, trying to legalistically only touch mail once. So then I'm like sorting mail as I'm walking in the house. Okay. That gets recycled because I can't put it down because it hasn't. And I was just like, no. We have so much that we're trying to do and so many opportunities that are available to us. Our goal in life is not to do the quick tasks easily or only touch things once. 
our goal in life is to figure out what we're uniquely created to do and then streamline everything that we have to do, reduce it to the minimal amount that we have to do, automate it as much as possible, put it Mm -hmm. on repeat so that we have our mental capacity and as much time available to us so that we can do what we're uniquely created to do. So here's what I said this summer. Maybe it was last summer. I don't remember. (laughs) Whatever. I guess it was last summer. I said, I certainly hope the woman who is inventing the COVID vaccine is not keeping up to date on her laundry because she will not have time to make the innovation. And you know, it was a woman, right? The first vaccine was created. And I was like, thank God she has dirty underwear. (laughs) I am so serious. There are so many businesses. There are like only two to 3% of women's businesses get venture funded. Mm -hmm, First of all, mm -hmm. I don't want venture funding because I want to own my company. Thank you very much. But it's because we're so busy trying to do this to-do list that we've created for ourselves that no one is even checking. Stop checking it. Move on. (laughs) Get as much time as humanly possible for what you are uniquely created to do. And then on Sunday, look at all those household-related things, do as many as you can, and then pick a couple that you're going to do during the week so you can get back out there and live your unique calling in life. Because I think you'll attest to this, when we're completely overwhelmed, guess what's happening to our executive functions, right? Goes to zero. (laughs) Yeah. So this sounds like, are we sitting here all day on Sunday? How long does this take? I know. I knew you weren't (laughs) going to like that part, Tracy. (laughs) It does take like 90 minutes on Sunday, sometimes three hours, but it always gives you back five to 15 hours, Monday through Friday. It's a time trade, really. And I find that for myself, whenever I have a routine task, which can, I I like novelty. Like I I want things that are varied and different. I don't like to do things that are routine. And I know that my kids struggle with that as well. That's why they didn't want to clean their rooms on Saturday morning. But when you discipline yourself to do this weekly habit of going through everything all at one time, instead of a little bit here and a little bit there, you will become so addicted to the amount of time that you get and the less stress you have in your life and the more mental capacity that you have that you'll look at it as if it is, okay, I got to balance my budget or I have to do my exercise or I have to eat the greens on my plate. You know, we make it fun. We have a whole community that does it, but it, it is the work that makes it so that you have more time to play. Well, it spikes your dopamine, right? You're so proud of yourself that, hey, you just want to do it again to get more dopamine. Yes. So if our listeners want to find out more about Sunday Basket, where do they go? So I do have a podcast that's just called The Sunday Basket. It's one episode. You can find it wherever you're listening to this, or you can go to sundaybasket.com. It'll tell you just about the Sunday Basket system, and there's a free seven-day mini course that you can start to see if that system might work for you. Okay. So we will have that in our show notes. I have to ask you this question. It's going to come with a little story, (laughs) if that's okay. Yes. So on many occasions, I've had ADHD women ask me about managing photos and kids' memories and artwork. And honestly, I just have to tell them, I'm sorry, there's a lot that I'm really good at, but I am the wrong person to answer that question. So I don't know if scrapbooking is still a thing, but when my daughter was really young, I spent a fortune. Of course, I bought everything you could possibly buy because my intention was obviously, to create something that she could go back and see when she was older. I literally have, I think it's five pages of her life done. I think I stopped at four months. She's now 23. 
I have no idea where the scraps of paper are, where I scribbled my kids' first words, when they walked, when they got their first tooth. I literally have two plastic baggies that have locks of hair in them, and I found them in my drawer, I don't know, a couple of years ago with the hairbrushes and the hair ties. But I have no idea which lock of hair is my daughter's or which <laughs> lock of hair is my son's. I bought, you know, those big wooden boxes they sell, you know, for when you have a baby. Um, and you're supposed to store all their memories in it. And they're, you know, they're beautifully engraved. And they have this little box for teeth. And of course, they have the little box for the lock of hair. I think there was a kit in there, too, for like getting your handprint and your footprint. Well, for one of the kids, I bought all the magazines and newspapers on the day they were born. And I still want to buy it for the other child. I don't know if it was daughter, son, whatever, but I don't know which one to buy because I can't find the ones that I've already bought. So I keep thinking by the time I figure this out and I find those periodicals, magazines, whatever, they're going to be $10,000. And I'm thinking, what the hell, Lisa? I have so much guilt over this, you know, and about a year of my daughter's life, you know, she was about a year old and photos were still being taken with film, but then the rest are digital photos. And I remember twice I literally spent $1,000 getting people to set up systems online where I could plug in the camera and it would download to various dated files. But the problem with that kind of system is you have to be consistent, right? You can't be a Luddite. And so I just sort of gave up. I mean, it was just such a waste of money. And now I have an iPhone and of course the kids are all grown up, but I just have all the photos. They're almost all grown up. I just have all the photos go to Google Photos but I still feel like I'm totally out of control. I literally can't find anything. So when one of their birthdays comes around and I want to post a photo, I just get anxious. And I know that part of me, part of this for me is emotion, right? I get sucked mm-hmm. in when I'm going through photos. I remember what a lovely time it was. I loved every minute of having kids at home. And so that's what makes it hard. But the other part is it's also disorganized that it takes me so long that I just, I can't even go there. And so I was wondering, do you have any advice for someone like me? With yes, kids, I do. Memories and photos. So my previous profession, the direct sales company I was in, was Creative Memories, which is the you know Olympic level of scrapbooking. I personally have made over three hundred photo albums. One hundred of those are my personal ones. I have scrapbooked White House. Oval Office photos. I've had Ronald Reagan's cufflinks in my house when I did that album. Like I am your photo preservation expert. Here's what I will tell you. Oh, do you know how much money I spent with Creative Memories? <laughs> and we thank Damn you. you. <laughs> so Creative Memories and the way that I do photos is a craft, is a passion, is a, you know, like you may run marathons. I can hardly walk to the end of the street. We each have things that we really love to do. For me, photos, like I love photos, but it is a craft project. Now it's it's meaningful. My family loves it. It's not necessary. Not everybody's family <laughs> needs to have these things. So there are three things that you're going to organize in your house. One are your physical spaces. That's the easiest thing to start with. The second is your actual paper, your filing cabinet, the information that your family would need on your computer if you were to be sick or they had to handle your finances or they had to sell your house and whatever coordinating information is inside of your head that isn't on your computer or in the filing cabinet if they had to care for you if you were sick, do your finances or sell your house for you. That's the second thing you need to organize. And then the third is your memories. Now, I want to give you an out. Usually, 
We organize our photos and do all the memories when we're in our 60s, 70s, and 80s. Now, creative <laughs> memories made it be a hobby that we did in our 20s, 30s, and 40s. I totally did it. But you have a lot more time to do those kinds of things when you are in your later years. And while all of my photos, all the way back to the 1800s in our family, are documented with dates, that is not necessary. Uh. And also, I've scanned all of those albums because I am fairly confident that they will not be around. Even though they'll last 200 years, my family's not holding on to those albums for 200 years. That was my craft project. They're going to take the scanned albums that I have on some flash drive that you probably won't even be able to use on the computer of that. <laughs> like life goes on. So I have definitely documented my family that way. And if that is something that you want to do to do a project like that, I'm not even going to lie. It usually takes a decade. Like to truly get all the photos in one place, get them chronologically organized, put them in a photo safe thing. And if it is not your passion, there is no reason that you have to do that. There will be someone in your family in the next hundred years that will find all of those things. They'll go on ancestry.com. They'll do your genealogy <laughs> like they did mine all the way back to the 1500s in England or whatever, and show you all these things. Like it's a passion project. It's not a have to, to be a good woman. Or a good mom. Uh, so there's not someone I can just hire that could just come and take it all and bring it back all beautiful. Well, it's going to cost you a fortune. <laughs> I used My to brain, do that, right? Yeah. Uh, um, no, here's what I would say. It, this obviously pulls at your heartstrings, and it is something that if you had unlimited resources and time and didn't get distracted by your other passions, you would probably want to have this thing done. I would say take a weekend, take all your laptops or whatever and find your favorite, like print out as many photos as you want and make really cool collages and hang them in your house. It does not have to be chronological, doesn't have to be an equal number of photos from every year or each child or whatever. Like what are your favorite 100 photos? Print them out, frame them, hang it somewhere, be done. So you can actually enjoy them, right? Rather than yes. they're stuck somewhere. Yes. Enjoy True. them. The one smart thing that I did, Lisa, is when my kids were young, I bought these big boxes. I can't remember what the catalog was called, but all they did was uh, photos, you know, things for photography, basically. Um, but it was more for the consumer, not like a professional photographer. And they had these giant boxes, archival boxes. And every single year that my kids started a new grade in school, I would buy one of those big boxes. And I literally, I would just throw their stuff in for that year. You know, my daughter, Atea had one. My son, Marcus, had one. And that's where all their stuff went. So at least I've got that somewhat organized. But again, I've never done anything with it. And it would just be, it's the perfectionism too, right? You just don't even know where to start because I'm just so afraid of... I don't even know what I'm afraid of. Just the whole idea of it. It just gives me anxiety. I have a love-hate relationship. I love them, but I also hate them because of all the memories. Well, and you're comparing your photo organizing to our peers who are doing creative memories. So you're like, oh, great. Lisa did it right. And I didn't. Our kids are not thinking that way. First of all, our kids think it's really creepy that we have their hair in their teeth. Just so you know. <laughs> Also, they don't care about 99% of the stuff that's in those, those boxes by year, which I already have. 
I took all that in one like simple binder and gave it to my kids. And your kids like to look at their schoolwork when they are school age, not when they're 35 and getting married or have their, they're like, no, I don't care. They, they don't, they don't have this expectation that we have put on ourselves. And the reason we put the expectation on ourselves is because all of our friends did creative memories and you see what they did for their kids. So then you're thinking you should do that for your kids. Your kids have no idea. They don't know. Ask them. Do you really wish that you had 15 albums like <laughs> Mrs. Woodruff has? And they'd be like, ew, creepy. Could she stop documenting my life? Like, no. Would Ask your kids. Ask them. What do you want from your childhood? If I, if I could pull together a binder or a box or photos, what are some meaningful things for you? Find out what they say. Don't tell them everything you have or wish you would have done. Just see what they say. True. True. You know, my husband... Um he celebrated a big birthday and we were out in New York City for it. And some friends came and joined us and that have known, you know, us for, I don't know, 25 years. And she's, she runs a graphic design firm, but she's also an amazing photographer. And as a gift, she gave him, you know, one of those books with all mm -hmm. the photos that she had collected over the years. And I, I just look at that and it's something I always want to do, but I just can't do it. And so I think in a lot of ways, you know, it's exactly what you said. We have certain gifts and then we have areas where, no, we're not really strong. And do we really care? And we want the end product, but we're not willing to do what it takes to get there. So ultimately, I guess I just came to the conclusion that thank God I have a friend like her because <laughs> um, she's really good at that and she does it. And so now my husband has this book. So we got it in some way, right? I didn't have to do it. <laughs> That's so the best I way. The smart one. So um, as we wrap up, Lisa, I've got two questions for you. What do you think the key to being organized with ADHD is? Not trying to use your brain as a to-do list. Brilliant. Our brains are meant to think, not remember. I love it. And then what is your number one organizational ADHD workaround? Do you have one? Like I've got this Datex cube. Actually, that's not even organization. That's more productivity. I'm trying to think. I'm not sure what my organizational ADHD workaround would be. Do you have one? I'm trying to think. So this is what I do. And you know, Sunday if basket. I am ADHD, which probably, well, yeah, but you knew I was going to say that. So I say something different because <laughs> I want to be different and unique. Um, Another ADHD trait. Just saying. You know, I, I'll tell you when I get my diagnosis, Tracy. <laughs> um, yep. I think that, and this I think is why I'm saying it would be an ADHD trait. I feel like the more time I spend thinking and planning, the easier and more impactful everything that I do in my life is. So is my house organized? Yes. Do I like to organize it like a project? Yes. Does that make me more productive as probably an ADHD person? Yes, but no, not really, because the things that make me productive as an ADHD person, if I am one, is my ability to let my brain go on really long rabbit trails to make synergies or new revelations that I don't think have been made before. And then when I go look for them, I can't find them. And those are the things that change the world. So my organizational hack is to get your home organized and get your all of the to-dos out of your brain, which gives you so much time. Like, I spend, I don't know, 20 or 40 hours a week just 
thinking. And the reason why I have so much time to think is because I spend the rest of the time planning how to not actually do any of my to-dos, to either have somebody on my team do them or find a way in which they don't even need to be done at all. (laughs) So maybe it's just work avoidance. Aren't those the best though? When you can have something that you need to get done, like maybe it's on your card, maybe it's on a to-do list. I I use these card things. And um, you look at it at the end of the week. I do Saturday morning planning. I look at it on Saturday morning and I realize I can cross it off and I didn't even have to do it. Someone else did Mm -hmm. it for me. (laughs) I love those. They're the best. So Lisa, are you working on something that you want to tell us about? Oh, I'm always working on 8,000 things. (laughs) I know. (laughs) What do you want to tell us about? So we're getting ready to go into 2022, and my team has grown over the last four years. We went from like two contractors to 22 team members, which is a lot. And I'm now to the point where I'm like, okay, we've established that we can teach the skill of organization, and we have lots of people interested in what we are doing, and we're doing research, and we're talking about a TV show and all these fun things that I never even dreamed would be a possibility. But as we get ready to celebrate our 10th anniversary in January, I'm now looking at every single thing we're doing and I'm looking at how can we make it simpler? Like how can we make Mm. the process simpler for our team, for our audience, for our students? How can I make my message simpler and more repeatable? How can we take the research that we're doing and make it more impactful and move it into more uh, communities? So just how can I simplify in order to really make a bigger change? And so if people want to find out more about you, Sunday Basket, all of that, where would they go? Would they go to sundaybasket.com or is there a better place to send them? Yeah, everything I have is at organize365.com. I'm organize365 on all social media. I'm most active on Instagram. And then the podcast is also called Organize365. Okay. Organize 365. And that was the podcast too. We will have all of this in the show notes. Lisa, thank you so much for spending time with us here today. Dr. Christine Lee was right, of course. Oh, Tracy, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So that is what we have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Lisa, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. And you know what? Your reviews really help in that regard. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. Come join me for free over at tracyoutsuka.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.